Mithrandir. Why the halfling? I do not know. Saruman believes that it is only a great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. Why, Bilbo Baggins? Perhaps it is because I'm afraid. It gives me courage. Uh, I watched this clip a few weeks ago in um, a hotel room <laughs> in Tupelo, and, and those words from Gandalf just stayed with me. Uh, and just a couple of days later, um, I watched and the rest of us watched with a world that was horrified and heartbroken as a dark power unleashed a, a war on ordinary, peaceful people. Um, and, and we continue to watch uh, as they uh, desperately try to keep evil at bay. Some of you, uh, in the days that after, right after it began, some of you may have seen the video of the, um, the man who uh, was standing with his entire body pressed up against a tank, just his body, and um, standing there desperate um, between darkness and the people that he loved, the country that he loved. It reminded me of, of watching, over 30 years ago, watching one college student stand in Tiananmen Square with a line of tanks um, and standing in front of the tank. And every time the tank would try to go around him, he would just move and stand by himself. <laughs> and impossible odds, but incredible courage. Um, Last year, we, Ori had a, a really unique opportunity uh, with, uh, to interview Miss Ruby Bridges via Zoom with Cartoon Network. And I was talking to Alyssa and Alice saw this uh, on, they were watching Craig of the Creek, that's what it's on. Uh, they, they watched the interview. And the way he had the opportunity to do that is that he submitted a question that he would ask um, as a kid, what he would ask Miss Ruby Bridges, who was a kid, who was the first person who um, integrated New Orleans public schools, um, he, he asked her, his original question actually was, how did you have the courage to do that every day when all of those people were being so mean and yelling things at you and threatening you? How did you have the courage? And Alyssa and I both agreed after watching the interview that our question was, how did her parents have the courage to, to send, and she, she commented on that, that to send her, their child. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we both agreed, maybe, maybe not number one. Maybe you could be number 10 to integrate. That sounds like a better plan, you know. But they had this, this courage and, and a commitment to this mission. And, and just like so many other civil rights leaders, I, I, you know, they... They persevered and they stood against violence with nothing but their love for other people and their mission and commitment to the freedom of others. And I, 
it was, it's just astounding to me. Because honestly, when I ask myself that question of, you know, could I really be that courageous? I know the answer is I'm pretty much a chicken. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I, that's, I don't know. I don't know if I could be because I, I can be a chicken. And uh, as I read uh, this week's lectionary passage in Luke chapter 13, 31 through 35, I realized, well, that's sort of like what Jesus calls me to be, a chicken. Maybe not, you know, a chicken, um, a chicken that has courage, maybe, exactly a mother hen to be exact, but that is what Jesus um, compares himself to and calls us to in this passage. He says in Luke chapter 13, 31 through 35, At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's interesting in this passage that the Pharisees come to warn Jesus that Herod wants to kill him. Because, you know, the Pharisees haven't exactly been on Team Jesus. They, it's interesting, like, they're coming on, to be on his side. And uh, Jesus was gaining a lot of favor and popularity with people. He was, he was causing quite a stir with the common people, with the marginalized people, but those people were in massive numbers. And, and that really threatened uh, Pharise- the Pharisees and Herod. So they kind of had a common problem. Nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And so maybe, we don't know, but maybe the Pharisees and um, Herod had kind of temporarily, even though they didn't like each other, had teamed up and said, look, if we can just get Jesus out of our territory and push him over to Pilate, then he won't be our problem anymore. And so um, throughout Scripture, Jesus continues to face people who try to get him to serve their mission, their purpose, their plans, because they don't understand his mission. And like the Pharisees here and like Judas will do um, in a few days, um, they just don't understand. And, you know, I'm, I, I like what Mike always says. It's, it's easy for me to position myself behind Jesus and say, yeah, uh, you hear what Jesus is saying? Um, instead of putting myself in front of Jesus' words. Um, but I, honestly, I realize that I can be guilty of pushing others to serve my purposes or my plans rather than understanding that my purpose is to serve. As he consistently does, Jesus isn't pressured into their plan. In verse 32, he responds by calling Herod a fox and basically says, look, I know I'm going to die soon. 
but I'm going to die on my terms, in my time, and when I am finished with my mission here, not at Herod's bidding. You know, these are, these are pretty bold words from Jesus. Um, he calls Herod a fox, um, but Herod was, this threat was real. Herod was, um, was, to, was greatly feared and very uh, loathed by everyone. He was a brutal ruler. He had, he'd killed one of his wives. He'd killed other relatives. This is Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. And so this threat is real. No matter the purpose, it's an actual real threat. And his power is real. But Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't shaken by it. He's, he's not having it. In verse 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. I don't know about you, but it's not really um, reassuring when Jesus compares Herod to a fox and himself to a chicken. Because when you think about a match between a fox and a chicken, my money is going to be on the fox. You know, um, chickens are, you know, this, this hen, they're, they're pretty defenseless. They have tiny beaks, little legs. They don't even have, like, talons like an, an eagle would have. They have wings, but they can't even fly away. And so they're really, really vulnerable. They, I can only imagine the aftermath of a fox in a hen house. A mother hen is no match for a fox, but the only thing a hen has to offer is herself. She can position herself between the fox and her chicks and stretch her wings wide, leaving her heart open so that maybe she might satisfy the, ho- the fox enough so that the chicks can live to see another day. So instead of a a roaring lion of Judah or even a soaring eagle, we're left with a chicken, a mother hen. And this is called, and if you in some of your Bibles it says the sorrow of um, of Jesus, the sorrow for Jerusalem. Um, this is a mother hen who is grieving, who is lamenting. Jesus says he longs to gather the people under his wings. He's facing his death in Jerusalem, and he's grieving for the people who are going to kill him. His grief isn't for him, but it is for them, because they're not willing to gather. He grieves because they choose the chains of power over love's freedom. Jesus mourns as a mother rejected by her young. That's a pretty deep, painful grief. A parent being rejected by their child. Parents mourn lots of things, of of missed opportunities, of dreams that are crushed, but an unmet potential and of of love not returned is, is extremely painful. And you don't have to be a parent to know that kind of grief. We've all felt the sting of rejection. Um, We understand how despairing it can be after our best efforts to help someone or to to protect someone 
and it just doesn't work out. Barbara Brown Taylor says, if you have ever loved someone you could not protect, then you understand the depth of Jesus' lament. All you can do is open your arms. You cannot make anyone walk into them. Meanwhile, this is the most vulnerable position in the world, wings spread, breast exposed. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what he still does. He opens his arms wide, his heart fully vulnerable, offering those who would kill him shelter and love. As Christ's body today and Christ's church as followers of Jesus, it's what we are called to do as well. You know, for the past two years, to me, have felt like an eternal Lent season, Lenten season, because it's just been this, you know, it's heavy and it's, there's so much grief. I literally tried to remember the past two Easter's and I have absolutely no memory of them. And that's how I know that I've experienced grief, when I can't remember certain events because there's just been too much. Um, we have spent the past two years being forced to, to close ourselves off um, in so many ways, just, just to survive, just to get to the, the next day. Um, but I feel like we're in a place where I can see Easter coming. You know, I, I, I sense that it, you know, it is, it's time and we have the opportunity to, as individuals and as the body of Christ to open our arms wide and offer community and love and shelter. In this barnyard imagery, um, I, sometimes I, I wonder if I'm more guilty of um, beha- behaving like the wandering chicks who refuse love's ref- refuge instead of the steadfast mother hen. You know, I don't know why um, we tend to seek power, um, seek refuge in power rather than in love. Maybe like Tolkien's character, Saruman, that um, believes that is power, maybe we believe that power will save us, you know, that our salvation will be found in, the pa- in power. You know, for me, I think sometimes I believe that if just the right people will gain this political position, the power of this political position, then we'll be safe, we'll be fine, we'll be okay. Or, or if I can control my schedule, I can feel it, I can do this, and I can control all of these aspects of my life, then I'll be fine, I'll be safe. And if this pandemic hasn't, hasn't taught us anything, it has taught us that we are not in control of much. There is not much that we really control. And we, are, we live in a world now where so, many, where so much grief is happening, not just because people have lost people that they love, but we've lost community, we've lost relationships with family members who, for political reasons or polarization, we've lost respect, we've lost, you know, our people's work their jobs have changed so much and people have left their jobs there's it's just not the same and so there even though you know this is your work family it's changed and there's grief in that because there's loss in that you've lost people you've lost some kind of resource and input there 
People have lost their homes, and a lot of people have kind of lost who they are in all of this. In some ways, life has felt like a terrifying fox in a hen house for the past two years. Um, And if there was ever an energy source for power, I think it is fear. So instead of gathering close to God, we reject love's refuge. Like the chicks reject the mother hen. And sometimes, you know, our wanderings don't always look the same. Sometimes our wanderings just look like doubt. We just doubt that the wings of God can really offer protection for us. Sometimes it looks like distraction by filling our, our lives with so many things and tasks and to-dos that we just think, fool ourselves into thinking that we are in control Sometimes it looks like self-sufficiency, that we can handle it. That we don't need God's shelter or we don't even need God's community. Sometimes it looks like our wanderings look like not believing in our own worth. We don't believe we're worth saving. I think most of you know Dr. Rebecca Lauderdale. Um, She... Early on when the vaccines were available, she was meeting with a patient and she said, you know, she always offered her patients an opportunity to schedule their vaccine shot. And this patient was a middle-aged man and he politely declined, she said. And she said, as usual, when a patient refuses a life-saving preventative treatment, I asked him about his hesitation. He said he just doesn't like shots. It's not the kind of guy who gets vaccines. And she said, I asked him, well, do you wear a seatbelt? He said, not usually. She said, when your kids were young, did you buckle them in their car seats? Did you make sure they got vaccines? He said, oh, yeah, of course. She said, I asked, don't you think you're worth protecting too? And she said, and then unexpectedly, he just hung his head and was quiet. After a pause, I said, you're worth protecting. After another pause, we talked a little more, and he decided to schedule the vaccine. Some of us are wondering because we don't feel like we're worth protecting. Unlike the people of the city of Jerusalem in this passage, we know the full story. Uh, we know that we don't have to scatter. We don't have to wander from the shade and protection, the shelter of God's great love. Christ, our mother hen, has placed himself between us and the threat of darkness. He has spread his wings wide and stood steadfast in love. When I read this passage, I can't help but think of another mother who today is standing steadfast. Um, A few weeks ago, when the Russian tanks um, positioned themselves on the border and began to cross into the country, um, people continued to offer President Zelensky and his family um, a way out. You know, they said, come on. But he was not leaving, and his family was not leaving either. His wife, a mother, 
This is what she said early on. Elena explained why she wasn't leaving the country. She said, I will not have panic. I will be calm and I will be confident. My children are looking at me. I will be next to them I and next to my husband and with you, her country. Unwavering love for a nation and for freedom, a commitment to the mission for which she is called. This has been a long season of Lent, of mourning, but Easter is coming. May we gather under Christ's wings and grow from fragile chicks to brave mother hens who stand steadfast with outstretched arms against the darkness, offering shelter where we've been given shelter, offering the message of hope that has been given to us and offering the love that we have received to the world around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a refuge. It is, there's so much pain and so much grief. And we thank you that your arms are open wide, offering us shelter and offering us hope. May we be a people, may we be a body here at Ecclesia, who others see with our arms stretched out wide, offering that hope and love and shelter. In Jesus' name, amen.